from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. In today's conversation, we'll look at the marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going. Joining me on the line now is Screen Dollars box office guru, Dick Walsh. Between Dick's career in exhibition, including as film chairman of AMC Entertainment, and my own days talking about movies on CNN, Entertainment Tonight, and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist, we've logged nearly a hundred years in Hollywood. That doesn't mean we're always right, but we've definitely got a few opinions to share. Dick, it was a great Labor Day weekend, but hey, isn't this the holiday that isn't supposed to be good for box office? How did we wind up with over $83 million for Shang-Chi? Well, I think everything aligned perfectly for this picture, even though the uh, situation would have said that it could not possibly have done $83 million. You had first and foremost... uh, traditional soft performance of the Labor Day weekend, uh, where the studios historically have avoided even releasing a picture in wide release over this holiday. You know, it's known as the official end of the summer, but studios for years uh, have stayed away from it. Secondly, the Delta variant of the COVID virus continues, the drumbeat continues, that it is spreading, that it is getting worse, and that you should really not be out in public, uh, certainly seeing a movie uh, with that going on. And then third, you had Hurricane Ida and its after effects uh, ravishing the northeast and the southeast portion of the United States. And with all of that going against it, it did $83 million. Just remarkable. It's extraordinary, and of course, uh, Disney and Marvel are obviously very, very happy. Uh, Again, uh, the audience doesn't seem to really be worried about the Delta variant. The audience is worried about seeing the movies they want to see, and they come out to see them. Uh, It was interesting, in the tracking, the best first-choice demo for this movie, Shang-Chi, were men over 25. They were 17 points over the norm. And they turned out for this, so did younger men, which was uh, the second uh, best demo. So we've got a great action film here. We've got the director of the movie, Destin Daniel Cretton, talking about making it. Let's uh, take a listen to how he explains it. Marvel Studios has a very unique way of working, and it is... Um, it is surprisingly really fun. <laughs> I mean, you could you could you imagine that working on movies of this size would would just feel like a lot of pressure and stress. Um, but the the way that that the studio works is is not really rooted in fear. It's it's rooted in in exploration where. Um, risk taking is 
is encouraged um, and there there really isn't a hierarchy where where one person has all the ideas and everybody else needs to shut up and follow this this is an environment where the best idea rises to the top even if that idea comes from an intern or a, or a PA that was Destin Daniel Cretton, who directed Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, what's also interesting about, about this movie is how well it opened internationally. The international marketplace is having a lot of uh, uh, impact from the pandemic still. Uh, in fact, Southeast Asia, with the exception of Singapore, is, is pretty much shut down. But it did over $56 million in 41 markets, territories around the world. So the global cube, based on three days, not four days, because that's just our domestic holiday weekend, based on three days, almost $128 million. Not a bad start, eh? No, this, this number would have been considered uh, terrific on any weekend, and to do it over the Labor Day weekend uh, is, you know, quite uh, spectacular. And to beat the previous record, the previous record was the remake of Halloween in 2007 that did just over $30 million. This beat that Labor Day weekend record by two and a half times. Well, and, and you know, when you look back to last Labor Day weekend with Tenet, which opened to a little over $11 million, uh, this is uh, awfully good. It is, by the way, also the second biggest uh, opening uh, this summer in the uh, pandemic era, uh, right after Black Widow, which, uh, which opened to $80.3 million, uh, and ahead of F9, which uh, ranks third with about $70 million. So this was a really good uh, opening, and it's because it's a really good film, and people are really, you know, enjoying it. Uh, they have created in this film, by the way, a new action Marvel star, and he is Shimu Lu. We have him, Dick, talking right now about being in this movie. Let's give a listen. I think audiences can look forward to some of the most incredible action sequences in any Marvel movie or any p- movie period. I think they can look forward to um, really surprising moments of comedy and also really surprising moments of emotional depth and intimacy. And, um, you know, that's what you get with a, with a wonderful director like Destin. He's so good at, at, at kind of crafting this, this intimate story, um, rich with human emotion and, and, and intricacy, but in the backdrop of this massive blockbuster movie. Um, I, I think he does it so masterfully. And uh, I think audiences are really going to be surprised at the emotional depth of the movie when they when they watch it. That was Shimu Lu, and you can definitely count on seeing him in future movies, certainly future uh, movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Shang-Chi, by the way, being the 25th in that series. Let's move on down the chart now, and <laughs> it's a big drop down, and that's to second place with Candyman, number two with about 13.4 million for the four-day weekend. Yes, but it, it was uh, in light of the fact that Shang-Chi did so much business, it only dropped 52%. Uh, 
And that's a very strong hold in the summer of 2021. And for Horror Flick to hold in that well, that was another positive sign of uh, the weekend. Uh, and I, well, I just want to throw in there, as you say, is very positive. And it also shows the value of not having day-and-date streaming. Because Candyman opened with a 21-day exclusive theatrical window. So it's not competing with itself uh, on, uh, on any streaming channel. And the same for Shang-Chi. And that was, these were important tests for exhibition. Can you gross enough that the studios will be satisfied that they can keep on the shelf for home distribution their biggest of pictures and be satisfied with the gross only thrown by theaters. And certainly in the last three or four weeks, started with Free Guy, continued on with Candyman, and now with Shang-Chi uh, just shows the power of uh, going to the movies. And with Candyman, I think one of the advantages that uh, Universal had is that it's a well-known uh, property. It was, of course, a big hit in 1992 when the original Candyman opened. Vanessa Williams, who is in Candyman the reboot now, uh, Vanessa was in the 1992 original playing the same character. We have her talking about that 1992 film. What I really love about what this film does the updated say my name version of it is that it really like the original um it talks about so many topical um the politic of the day the politic in terms of gentrification um what it means to be an artist what it means to have a place in the world um you know Candyman is driven by his need for his story to be told. And so I think all those things resonate with us as an audience. And I think um, it's just a good, good show. So people want to see more of it and see um, what has happened. That was Vanessa Williams looking back to the 1992 original version of Candyman. But, you know, with all of this uh, great news at the box office this weekend, we also have a big news story about the box office yet to come, and that is Paramount moving Top Gun Maverick, the Tom Cruise sequel, of course, from November 19th, where we were almost about to see it now, to Memorial Day of next year. And, and reportedly, because the international marketplace is still hurting because of the pandemic, much less so the domestic marketplace. But, Dick, I think this is, uh, perhaps at Paramount, I wonder, are they looking at the success now of Shang-Chi and saying, you know something, maybe we made a mistake? Well, you've got to think that uh, nothing breeds success like success in Hollywood, and everybody follows the same models. And Paramount might have been one week too early in declaring that it was time to delay those pictures. And it was very important for exhibition that the stabilization of the fourth quarter release schedule would be holding in there. And in light of what happened Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and now going into Monday of this weekend, 
we're going to have the studio saying, geez, I, I think we need to just go out there, and if we've got a good picture, as you said, Marty, let's get behind it, let's sell it, and let's get it out in the marketplace. Uh, and, so, you know, the, the, the move of Top Gun Maverick will actually, I think, benefit Disney Marvel with the Eternals, uh, which is opening uh, November 5th, and it will also help Sony, which is opening Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, it, uh, it was going to open on November 11th, but they took over almost instantly the November 19th slot that Top Gun Maverick had. And, and without getting into too long an analysis of this, let me just say that it means that the, the second weekend of both of those pictures is going to be a lot less competitive and a lot better for them without Top Gun Maverick in the marketplace. It, it is very interesting, as you point out, that the dates that were vacated were almost immediately taken by other pictures. And that shows that, you know, everybody is paying attention to everybody else's moves. And once again, you've got uh, perhaps a strengthening of those titles. Now, certainly we're not going to be able to replace Top Gun. And, uh, you know, that was a key fourth quarter title. But you're absolutely right. Those other two pictures are going to benefit by that move, and they will do better than they would have under regular circumstances. And it's not official at all, but the buzz is that MGM is not changing the release date, not for No Time to Die, the 25th Bond episode. It's staying on October 8th, and I think that is a very important factor. Yes, you almost had, uh, you almost had a collapse here uh, last week, uh, as you point out, with the Paramount movement. The other studios were all bracing, bracing, bracing. What should we do? What should we do? And then the latest Marvel hero comes along, saves the day, and now you've got uh, MGM probably almost certainly saying, we're going out on October 8th. That's Absolute. what we're going to do. I, I mean, this is, uh, this is the smart move. The smart move is not to do anything different. Uh, these films have all been delayed and delayed and delayed. Uh, I was looking through my photo files here, and we've got a poster for Top Gun Maverick uh, opening. It said at the time, June of 2020. I mean, these pictures, after a time, I mean, don't they get stale? Well, I heard a joke this week in a bar that uh, somebody said, it's Tom Cruise's uh, Top Gun Maverick. Does that take place in a biplane? It's been so long since the first one was made. This is the sequel. When, when does this occur? So you're right. Some of this stuff is going to begin to get dated. Well, we'll, uh, we'll watch and see. And, and speaking of watching and seeing, of course, there's always next weekend, which is uh, great for us. It means we've got to come back and talk some more. And, and next weekend, there's one big film coming, and that's from Warner Brothers and New Line. It is an R-rated horror thriller called Malignant. It'll open at about 3,150 theaters. Now, this is an original, but it's from a director, James Wan, who's very well known for a series of uh, big, big horror hits like The Conjuring, Annabelle, Saw, Insidious, uh, as a director or as a producer. So uh, there could be a following for him, but it's not tracking well. Any, uh, any thoughts about what we're going to be looking at? 
Well, the weekend after uh, Labor Day weekend is bad. The weekend after Labor Day is also bad as people are just getting readjusted to the new uh, schedules their lives go through as kids go back to school. So itself is not a very good weekend. Uh, once again, this is now the eighth horror picture since July 2nd, eighth in 11 weeks. Uh, Candyman did work. Candyman broke through, found its audience. Uh, held very well this weekend and uh, is considered a success. But how much, how many horror dollars are out there uh, for the audience? Well, you know, as we said before, Candyman did have the advantage of not competing with itself on streaming. In the case of Malignant, however, it will be streaming day and date on HBO Max. And it brings to mind the question about whether people really want to be terrified at home on the couch. It's one thing to be in a theater the right way and to have everybody screaming at the same time. So just to, to take a, a listen here, we have a scene, a scary scene from Malignant. And let's see whether we would like to watch this at home alone. Uh, maybe not. But uh, let's take a listen now. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. That's a scene from Malignant, and uh, I'm not so sure I'd like to see that at home alone. It's uh, kind of, uh, you know, better in a theater, as I say, with everybody else uh, screaming at the same time. Well, similar to uh, comedy, the horror genre really needs uh, other people in the auditorium to keep the emotion going and to keep the terror going. And uh, it's, there's something about watching a comedy at home, and you laugh once or twice and say, that wasn't very funny. Yet if you had seen it in a movie theater, you would have said, that's a pretty funny picture. People were laughing throughout. So uh, it's, a, it's a strange uh, conundrum we find ourselves in. And here may be a time where exhibition once again says, look, you killed the picture. You went right to streaming day and date, didn't allow it to breathe in a movie theater. And I think to just wrap up here now on a very happy note yet again to say that Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings opening to uh, roughly $83.5 million for the four-day weekend shows the benefit of not having to have day-and-date streaming competing against yourself. Let's come back, Dick, next weekend and uh, do it again. I will see you then, Marty. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for September 5th, 1902. 
There would never have been a 20th century fox if Darrow F. Zanuck and Harry Warner had gotten along better. When DFZ, as he became known, was born September 5, 1902 in Wahoo, Nebraska, the movie business was just taking shape. Harry Warner and his three younger brothers, Albert, Sam, and Jack, opened their first theater in Newcastle, Pennsylvania in 1903 and by 1918 had a studio in Hollywood. One of their biggest assets, after incorporating Warner Brothers Pictures in 1923, was Rin Tin Tin, a French dog brought back after World War I by a U.S. soldier. Zanuck, then a young writer, joined Warner Brothers in 1924, writing scripts that made Rinty a superstar. Zanuck became head of production and studio chief Jack Warner's right-hand man. But Harry, Warner Brothers chairman, controlled the purse strings from New York. After the 1929 stock market crash, movie-going was a great escape for people, helping Hollywood survive the early Depression years. By 1933, studios were slashing payrolls to stay alive. Employees' 50% pay cuts were to be restored by specific dates. It was DFZ who promised the Warner Brothers team when they'd get full pay again. Then Harry insisted on delaying full salaries. Tempers flared, and Zanuck quit his own $5,000 a week job. Three days later, over breakfast at the Brown Derby, United Artists chairman Joe Skank told DFZ they should start their own production company with distribution through UA and handed him a check for $100,000. It was signed by MGM chief Louis B. Mayer, who wanted to make his son-in-law, William Getz, a shareholder in the new venture and a Zanuck production executive. Mayer's boss at MGM was Lowe's president, Nicholas Skank, Joe's brother, so taking in Getz meant they could do loan-out deals for MGM stars. The company's name, 20th Century Pictures, came after DFZ, an avid polo player, was knocked off his horse during a match and yelled that the other guy played like they did in the 19th century. His polo pal replied, Let's call the company 20th Century. All went well until Zanuck discovered 20th's UA deal was paying 10% of the net, not the gross, as agreed. As luck had it, Fox Film Corp. was in financial trouble at the time. Fox needed product, but had strong distribution, a 96-acre studio, and owned theaters. A 1935 merger created 20th Century Fox, a major player until Disney bought it as part of a $71 billion deal in 2019. Zanuck's 20th Century is now a Disney label with a brand new hit, Free Guy. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.